as we've prayed, Lord, we ask that we would hear your voice and that we would come to you and follow you. Amen. To be human is to be made for connection. We're made, after all, right, in the image of a triune God, in the image, you could say, of a community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, made for connection. And yet, to be human is to often find that very difficult connection. And for some, to find it rarely, if at all. And this has pretty debilitating effects on people's health, on communities, on whole groups of people. And, and in finding a, a sense of being truly safe in God's world. I think our gospel for today, come on down. Sorry. I think our gospel today from John 10, beginning with verse 1, is actually set in that kind of a context. Um, as I often point out brilliantly, this is one of my gifts as a, as a Bible teacher, John 10 follows John 9. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And... Honestly, like the beauty and power of the shepherding metaphors, often, um, I mean, I had to be reminded again, studying this week, that actually the way John presents this is Jesus is continuing a conversation. I mean, the gospel began, truly, truly, I say to you, who is he talking to? There's something going on. And I'm not going to re-preach John 9. We had all those beautiful uh, stories in Lent um, from John, from Nicodemus to the woman at the well, to the man born blind and Lazarus, all during Lent. But I, I do feel it's important to set the context and emphasize some things that Robert didn't when, when he preached on the man born blind. So... In John 9, verse 1, it says something like, and as Jesus went along, he saw a man born blind. Right there, that alone is like rich. He saw a man born blind. He saw him. Actually, he's the only one in the whole story who sees him, really sees him. The next verse, it says, the disciples asked Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, they've been with Jesus a while, watching him, observing him, receiving his care. And they say, they objectify this guy. They theologize this guy. If you remember, they say, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. That was their paradigm. That was their framework. And so they are pushing him aside. They are like 
analyzing him. Um, and anyway, Jesus heals him. Jesus makes mud, puts it on his eyes, sends him away to a pool to wash his face, and he can see. And to this point, he's not seen Jesus. He's only heard Jesus' voice. Ding, ding, ding. Um, but he comes back seeing, and then it says the neighbors, the neighbors got all kind of agitated. Like, what's, is, wait, is this the blind beggar guy? How can this be? Like, this can't, this can't be. And so they're like not rejoicing, including, but analyzing. And it's like, we have a great idea. Let's bring him to the religious authority. Let's bring him to the Pharisees because they can, they can help figure this out. And, you know, that didn't go so great either. And so the Pharisees are already like opposed to Jesus, like violently opposed to Jesus. And then to make it worse in their eyes, Jesus did this on the Sabbath. He made mud. He made something. He created something on the Sabbath to heal this man, to bring him life abundantly. Uh, And so then the Pharisees say, oh, we know, we'll call his parents. And so they call his parents to them. And they're like, okay, is this your son? Like, was he really blind? And they're like, uh, he's of age, ask him. They, they kind of disown him. They kind of like, beca- and John gives us, tells us why. It's because they were afraid if they talked positively about Jesus as maybe being the Messiah, that they would be cast out of the synagogue. That they would be exiled, excluded, And so they did that to their son. Back to the Pharisees. And that's where it gets a little bit comical, you know, and they keep pressing him. And he's like, all I know is I was blind and now I see. And oh, by the way, do you want to, why are you questioning me? Do you want to be his disciples too? And they drive him out twice in two verses in a row. John tells us the authorities drove him out. And, his, and I think we could put in there his neighbors and his parents too. Drove him out. And John says, when Jesus heard that he had been driven out, which by the way is kind of aggressive language. Um, it says Jesus sought him out. Jesus went and found him. Now, remember, he's never seen Jesus. He's only heard his voice. And Jesus finds him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is he? And he says, it's me. And he says, yes, Lord, I believe. You know, he had heard the voice, came into the fold, embraced by Jesus and by God's love. And the Pharisees overheard this, and they say, what, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus is basically, uh, yeah. Yeah, but, but actually, if you knew you were blind, you could actually see. That's where it ends. And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever does not enter the sheepfold by the door are thieves and robbers. Who do you think he's talking about? Who do you think is ticked off that a man was healed? Did you hear those groups of people, dear friends? The disciples of Jesus, his neighbors, his mom and dad, and the religious authorities. My heart's beating hard. Sometimes churches and families and neighborhoods are not safe places for people. So Jesus says the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. This is precisely what happened for this man. And it's what he offers you and me. He was seen. He was sought. He was healed. He was known. He was invited. He was included. This is the story that we heard on Easter of Mary in the resurrection garden when Jesus called her name. And I hope it's you and me too. Not just a man born blind and not just Mary. Jesus goes on. This, like, to really get into the weeds of this section gets really confusing. Like, who's the gatekeeper? Who's the shepherd? Wait, is Jesus a shepherd or a door? Um, but there, it, anyway, so he says, I'm the door a little bit later when he's explaining it. I'm the door. If anyone enters in by me, they will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. As I was um, studying this, I came across a bunch of scholars that I really respect that translate this. Um, they change the word saved. And so one says, I'm the door. If anyone enters in through me, he will be safe. Another uh, if, through me, if any man enter, he shall be kept safe. Eugene Peterson in the message says, anyone who goes through me will be cared for. And N.T. Wright, who I quote all the time, one of the leading New Testament scholars in the world and an Anglican bishop, said, if anyone comes in by me, they will be safe. Um, I, that's a legit interpretation of this word, sozo, which 
in some places in the New Testament is actually translated healed. You know, it is, as Robert mentioned not too long ago, it is the idea of rescue from whatever is binding, undermining, uh, taking away life abundant from you. It's, it is literally the idea of rescue. It's not just like getting your past out of hell into heaven. It's about wholeness. And it has this idea as well of a felt sense of safety with God and in God's world. I said this uh, in my sermon on Monday um, for Deb Roos's funeral. Um, I framed it around some words that Deb would repeatedly say over the last year of her life as she fought cancer. But one of them, one of the words was, I am held, H-E-L-D. Robert was sitting back here and thought I said, I am hell. Um, and uh, then he thought, I am help, but it held, held is so beautiful. And what Deb meant, she did mean God, that I sense God holding me, but she also meant you, held by God's people and her family. This week, um, just in my Psalms reading, I was reading in Psalm 12 and found this beautiful verse that's, this is God talking, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will place them in the safety for which they long. I love that. Some of you know I've been doing trauma work for two years now. I just finished last weekend. The re reason I wasn't at this ser service was I finished up the last uh, weekend um, in the second year of trauma care. And if, if there's one thing that I've learned uh, over these two years is that uh, trauma is immediately related to safety. We get traumatized because we, are, we get in a situation where we don't feel safe or indeed aren't safe. And that can be something really big like a car accident or you know, someone burglarizing your house with a gun or some kind of sexual violation. Um, but you know what? It can also be having, like this man in the story, having your parents deny or exclude or sideline you. If that happens enough times, you begin to feel unsafe in your own body. There's a lot to be said there. I know when I say that, a lot of, a lot of people sort of turn that off. I've never been, I've never had this happen, but a lot of us carry in our bodies ways of reacting to things that are rooted into unresolved hurt in our past. Reacting with defensiveness, with your heart rate going up, with anger. I mean, it goes a lots of ways. And um, so a couple of years ago, this was actually my daughter-in-law who's a therapist. And she interviewed someone on her podcast, a woman named Andi Kolber. Her first name is spelled A-U-N-D-I. Um, I love this woman. Um, her first book has one of the best titles of, of any book ever, and it's entitled Try Softer. 
The subtitle is A Fresh Approach to Move Us Out of Anxiety, Stress, and Survival Mode and Into a Life of Connection and Joy. Her second book came out on my birthday just a, just a month ago on March 21st, and it's called Strong Like Water, Finding the Freedom, Safety, and Compassion to Move Through Hard Things and Experience True Flourishing. Um, this isn't a sermon about Andy, but I am going to quote her, um, and I do commend uh, b- both of those books. But she is speaking about, at this point that I'm going to quote, um, about the gift of presence that, that we all need if we're going through something difficult, stressful, whatever. The gift of embodied presence. And that can be offered by people who aren't perfect. Like, you can have your own limits, your own wounds, and still be present with another. She writes this, we can offer compassionate with So she's playing on the idea of empathetic witness, like someone hearing our story and like being caring about us, and compassionate withness, W-I-T-H, a posture through which others convey that they are attuned to us, that they resonate with, understand, and share our feelings, and that we can attune to them and to others. Hopefully, this makes it possible for us to begin to learn to attune to ourselves as well. In Latin, the word compassion means to suffer with. Suffering with someone while being attuned to them is powerful. It conveys a sacred solidarity. This withness also speaks to the way our nervous systems and bodies are created to sync with each other as we experience co-regulation. That's a lot of trauma language. The idea is how we were made, especially in our youngest days, but frankly, even when you're 66 years old, is that other bodies help regulate my body. I'll talk more about that another time. I give thanks for today for Combi Haiti. I just want to shout that out. Um, They had their Haitian occasion last night, and I thank God for Ryan and Stephanie's vision and their partnering with the traumatized people of Haiti. I'm thankful for us. We're growing in this. I do hear stories about um, safe places in our community to be real, to share our stories of what's really going on or has gone on. And I pray for more and more of that here. I know I need to wrap up. Finally, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, this is what this man experienced in the story. There is a power of evil in the world that has been defeated, but is still on the loose. And it works in lots of different ways. And it works through generational trauma, actually. Um, But Jesus came for life, an abundant life. 
Think about Stephen in a story that Susan read from the gospel. It literally said they cast him out and they stoned him. But he, Jesus, his good shepherd, gave him a vision. Jesus stood up. What are we, what are we going to say in the creed? He sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus sta- G- Stephen sees Jesus stand up to intercede for him and to receive him. To be safe doesn't mean you never have a threat. In fact, it doesn't even mean you might not be killed. But it does mean that felt sense of being seen and safe and known. I mean, just read Psalm 23. I mean, that beautiful, beautiful Psalm. Valley of the shadow of death a table in the presence of my enemies. And I'll, sh- I'll share my Bible knowledge brilliance once again. Psalm 23 follows Psalm 22, which begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A Psalm of trauma. And yet David, David knew, knew this. So, uh, Andy does quote a, a doctor who's worked a lot in the realm of trauma, just a short thing, and then I'm going to close, who states, safety is not the absence of threat, but the presence of connection. We don't trust in safety. We trust in Jesus Christ who came to give us abundant life by going through a violent death by living the human experience in his body mind heart his whole existence we heard about that in first peter he was abused he was reviled Jesus, God with us, offers me and you compassionate witness. He is God with us. He comes to us in bread and wine. He comes to us by the power of his spirit, his breath. He comes to us through his body. He sees you. He knows you. He is seeking you. I believe he's here right now calling you, saying, I know who you are. I know what you've been through. I know what you're experiencing. Come to me. I will be with you. I will give you pasture. I will heal you. He is inviting you in order to include you.
He knows. He knows because he's experienced it. Thanks be to God. Amen.